Hey, I'm Tiffany. Hey, I'm Tasha. And you're listening to The, the she Boss Series, a new series navigating women at every level through the unspoken rules of business. The she Boss Series is designed to discuss the scenarios that HR doesn't speak about and men don't understand. We're bringing honest conversations and solutions from successful women. In this episode, we're talking about women and wealth, because we all know how important it is to secure that bag. These she-bosses of the finance industry will help you get comfortable talking about personal finance, investing, and most importantly, building your legacy. Take a listen to our guest speakers, Amy Ramirez, financial planning strategist, Elise Steinhaus, managing editor of Grow by Acorns, Nikki Murkison, community partnership at JPMorgan Chase, Evangeline LeClaire, career coach at The Muse, Lindsay Goldworth, editorial director of Stash and host of the podcast, Teach Me How to Money, moderated by Shalanda Webb, business strategist and author. Be prepared to take notes, y'all, because they're about to drop some keys. First, I'm Shalanda Webb, and I am the president, CEO, superwoman of Avalon Financial. Avalon Financial, uh, what we do is we fund small businesses. Basically, what we do is we get we come into your business and we get you ready to uh obtain money from banks. A lot of times businesses fail because they just don't have the money to operate their businesses. So what we do is we structure you, your finances, your personal finances, your business finances to get you ready to go into the bank and get what you need. Uh, secondly, we have a book coming out, and it's called Secrets to Success. It's 100 uh, grand, how to make your first 100 grand in your first year, um, just to make sure that you are doing multiple streams of income and what your purpose to do versus just, you know, out there just trying to make multiple streams of income. It's uh, really how to pick your clientele. Everybody's not for you. Um, knowing your market, it's got all that stuff. It's got a journal, it's got everything in it. So that'll be out uh, in a few months. So we'll leave information for that. And that's Avalon Financial. So you want to go this way or that way? This way? All right. You got it. Hi, everybody. I'm Elise Steinhaus. I work for a company called Acorns, which is an investment app for uh, the up and coming people who don't. Um, you certainly can know a lot about investing and invest with us, but um, we really cater to people who are just starting out. I'm the managing editor of the financial education site that Acorns publishes called Grow. So I've been there for about two and a half years and previously worked for LearnVest, which is another um, personal finance uh, company content is what I was doing there, but they had uh, financial plans. And uh, before that, worked at a place called Daily Worth, which was personal finance for women. Good evening, everybody. I'm Nikki Murchison. Um, I've been in the financial services industry over 20 years. And what I do now is I educate communities on building wealth through home ownership. So I do um, uh, across a bunch of cities. Uh, I work in low-income neighborhoods, and I uh, educate around budgeting, managing money, understanding credit, and the mortgage process from start to finish. Hello, everybody. My name is Evangelia LeClaire, and I actually ended up, I actually started my career in financial services, working for Northwestern Mutual Life, and um, realized that my passion wasn't really helping wealthy people get wealthier. It was really hard to reach out to them. Um, my real passion was helping people discover and pursue their dream careers so that w they can acquire wealth and really live their life abundantly. Um, and so I ended up working for a company called Dream Careers for 10 years that helped college students, recent grads, really figure out what their gifts were through internship programs and educational enrichment. And um, now I currently have worked 
for 10 years there. Now I currently work with the Muse and have my own business called Career Ready Set Rock. Is this on? Awesome. So I am Amy Ramirez. I am a financial advisor. I specialize in financial planning and wealth management. Uh, I was with Morgan Stanley for two years in North Jersey. It was an uh, invaluable apprenticeship. And now in 2018, I am vice president with PWG Insurance Agency which is uh, my way of saying that I've launched my own practice. And so now in 2018, I am a financial advisor building my book of business. And uh, for folks who like are in the know, uh, that means that I'm with London Private Ledger. So uh, I am a financial advisor. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Lindsay. Um, I work at Stash Invest. Um, Stash uh, is similar to Acorns, but a little bit different. Um, it is an investment app and a savings app for beginners. Um, you can start with uh, $5, open up an individual brokerage. You can start with $15, open up a retirement account. Uh, and I um, created Stash Learn and their podcast, which is called Teach Me How to Money. Um, before that, um, I had a podcast called Spent. Um, and it was all of the same thing, you know, talking to real people about real money and kind of getting over our money shame and kind of moving forward and making positive decisions. Uh, my background's actually in journalism. I worked at uh, ABC and CBS, and I just I had a big career change uh, in my 30s, which was, which was, which was pretty crazy. Um, and then I ended up in finance sort of accidentally. I, um, through a very random, through a Facebook connection, I ended up working, uh, helping to launch a Swedish fintech app called Capital. Uh, in the U.S., um, doing their PR and doing some of their marketing. So um, I've just sort of fallen, fallen in love with helping people uh, get their finances together to demystify finance, to show people that it's not that complicated. If I can do it, you can do it. Um, and meeting people like you. Okay. So everybody's been introduced. Let's jump right in. Ms. Amy, uh, is it possible to build wealth with one stream of income? What's your take on that? No. I agree. <laughs> uh, burn rate is really the, the issue there and the, the variable of the unexpected. So you just don't want to be in a position where you are, you are assuming more risk than you can afford to rebuff. So if you focus just on your W-2 as your source of income, your body can wear out, the economy can change for your company, for your industry. If you, um, you know, just focus on only retaining income from your passive investments, you, you kind of risk your, your creative edge. Uh, so I do think you need to have sources of income that stretch you out of your comfort zone in different ways. So the, my, my short answer is no. Uh, and it's more than just having two W-2s, like having two and three jobs, because that, that can burn you out. It's also a matter of, of balancing uh, what you bring to the table. Like, are you, a, are you the smartest person for what you're trying to do? And uh, is, is the job that you're doing or the income that you're receiving sustainable? I'll share a slightly different perspective. I agree with what Amy said, um, but I also think that more important than how many streams of income you have or how much money that you're bringing in is what you do with what you have. And so a really big part of building wealth over time is to start investing soon. And maybe you've heard that the best day to start investing was yesterday, but I promise you that the best day to start investing is today. Um, because the earlier you start investing, the more time your money has to grow. And you don't need a lot of money to start. There's apps like Acorns and Stash that you can start with as little as $5. But the point is that when you create this habit, when you have $5, 10 $20 to spare every month, is that when you have more disposable income in the future, you have already 
flex that muscle and the friction to start is a lot less. Mm -hmm. You kind of answered one of the other questions on you. Knock it right to skip. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go into anybody else want to chime in on the multiple streams of income? Good. Okay, so let's jump to uh, Miss Nikki. How are you? <laughs> so we were talking a little bit in the back about the home ownership thing, um, and I know nothing about the, the New York area. So the, the question is, like, uh, can you buy real estate for investment purposes if you make less than 500 grand a year? Like, is that possible? That's the question in New York, because New York is very expensive. It's a very expensive city, and prices continue to go up. Um, but what I think people should do is think um, less traditional. Um, about home ownership and really think outside the box. Um, if you can't afford a property on your own, I think that people should start think about, thinking about connecting with other people. So other family members, right now we're in a shared economy. Um, people are roommating all the time. Why not uh, rent a property with roommates but have some ownership in that property? So we just need to think more creatively about um, home ownership. And then also there are other opportunities in other cities. You know, New York is not the end-all, be-all, um, but unless you want to, you know, go out to the suburbs where it's more affordable, um, then I think we should stop thinking a traditional way and just get more creative. I want to just reinforce the, the wisdom of what Nikki was saying there. So in a share economy, if three or four of you are making 400K, New, or, you know, or 500K, or 375, or 515, if you have three or four trusted people uh, then New York City can become a little more feasible for you if Manhattan is, or Brooklyn is what you are, you know, compelled to. And you can find people that you trust over life experiences, right? So if you go to school together, so if you've been in college with someone for four years and you've come to trust that person, you know how if they can keep their cell phone on, then hopefully they'll keep the mortgage payments on time. And so I definitely want to reinforce uh, Nikki's point to the share economy. There's still some places in New York, I think, where the dream is still <laughs> alive-ish. You know, um, my husband and I, we, we bought our apartment in Queens um, a, a while ago during the recession. We didn't have very much money, but um, we didn't have a big wedding. We, we threw every penny at this apartment that uh, hadn't been decorated since 1972. <laughs> you know, it had a lot of wallpaper, a lot of carpet, it needed a lot of love, you know, and we didn't do much, too much before we moved in, but we moved to a place where it wasn't the, the place yet, you know, to, to move to. So you have to have a little bit of a, of a sight ahead um, and just sort of know what your priorities were. We were sort of tired of paying rent and we were okay with being far from our, from our friends who were in Brooklyn. Um, so and it's really worked out for us, so I think just just expand your horizons a little bit, and that there's in the boroughs there's still there's still some hope. <laughs> Sorry, I just want to piggyback on what she said. She made a, a great point. Um, one thing is that. Um, Rent is very expensive. So if you're paying $1,200 in rent, um, if you calculate that over five years, you're paying almost 80000 So a lot of people think that they can't afford to buy a property, but if you really look at how you spend your money and where your money is going and you're willing to make some sacrifices, you'd be surprised how much money you can uncover. So just to stay in the mix with the, the whole real estate thing, so a lot of the people here are probably from New York. Where are the, the hot spots now? that uh, beginners and, you know, veteran investors can kind of jump in and say, this is where I can, I can invest. 
Um, so most of the classes that I teach I always talk about uh, making a smart investment. You know, a lot of people think about home ownership, you know, when they get married and have kids, um, and they don't really look at it as an investment. Um, so I think making smart choices, doing your research. Everybody has access to the New York City Planning Department, and on the Planning Department site, there's a plan for every neighborhood. So every neighborhood that you see that's, that, that's changed. So when you look at Harlem and how Harlem used to be and how it is now, when you look at Brooklyn, and there's still some parts of Brooklyn that are growing. I mean, when I tell people, hey, you need to look into Brownsville, right? People are like, oh, I would never live in Brownsville, right? East New York. But buying now, there are benefits to that. So just a quick story. I purchased uh, my first property when I was 28 years old, and I'm originally um, from Queens, born and raised in Queens. Anybody from Queens? Queens in the house. Um, so I purchased, uh, so I was originating mortgages at the time, and I was really tired of helping uh, others achieve their goal of home ownership and not owning a home myself. Um, and I used to work in Midtown Manhattan where you would have uh, hedge fund guys that made, you know, half a million dollars a year. Um, and they were purchasing homes, their first home, their vacation home, but then you would also have the workers that worked in the local restaurants that came in and they also purchased homes and they have really low wages. Um, but they were good savers and what they did was they pooled together with their families to purchase their homes. Um, so I, that gave me the confidence to want to purchase. Um, but I fell in love with brownstones um, because I used to work in Harlem. So I used to have all of these, you know, go to these brownstone tours. So I really wanted a brownstone. Um, and a friend of mine said, well, hey, you know, Harlem is kind of priced out. It was getting expensive at the time, and my credit was jacked up, so I couldn't purchase at the time. I had to give myself time to, you know, rebuild my credit. Um, but then he told me about Brooklyn and Bed-Stuy. Um, so I didn't really know much about Brooklyn except, you know, what I saw in the news, no offense. But I, um, I started doing some research, and, and um, I got with a real estate agent. And a real estate agent, um, he was an Israeli guy, and, and in that culture, they tend to be kind of pushy. So he was, he was, I thought he was trying to take advantage of me, but he really took me under his wing, and he, you know, showed me around Brooklyn, and he's like, you know, they're going to build this, and I knew the stadium was coming. So I wound up purchasing two properties, because at the time, it was, um, it was really easy to purchase a house. All you had to do was breathe. Um, so I only had $500, and I wound up purchasing two properties, one being a brownstone, um, and that was almost 15 years ago. And now today, if anybody knows Bed-Stuy, they used to call it do or die Bed-Stuy. And now um, the properties are, are, are going for over $2 million. So I feel like I'm in the perfect job that I can go around and I can educate people on basic and tell my story, what I did. If I could do it, you could do it too. I, I grew up in subsidized housing and um, I was able to do it through you know, my experience in banking starting as a teller. Um, but I didn't know about money. I didn't know about credit. Um, and people think that they can't do it, but you really can. You just have to make a lot of sacrifices and you have to do your research. So, you know, just to kind of finish out the real estate piece of it, uh, we're talking about a lot about investing in it. How about the flipping, the more lucrative? Is it still lucrative? Is it lucrative here in New York? Is it, you know? So flipping in New York is, is really, I mean, 
right now invest, is saturated with investors. Um, so again, I work in different cities, and um, I work in Philadelphia. That's one city that I actually fell in love with, and um, and there's a lot of opportunity there for flipping um, because you can buy property very cheap, and a lot of those neighborhoods are gentrifying and they're changing. Um, so if you get in now, um, even Baltimore, you know what's happening is across the U.S. is all of these urban areas. Um, so look at Detroit, for instance. They want to verge of bank bankruptcy, and then um, now everybody wants to go to Detroit, right? It's the new hot place to live. So it used to be where poor people lived in the inner city, in the urban areas, and the rich people lived in the suburbs, and now there's a shift. Um, everybody wants to live in the urban areas, and people who lived there for years are being pushed out. Um, so if you just do some research on different urban areas and look and see what um, what's happening, what they're going to build, because all urban areas are going to grow. Um, and then when you see corporations, you know, big corporations moving their... Um, their businesses to those cities um, and just doing research around that city, those are, you know, key things to, to, um, to look for when you're looking for investment opportunities. So flipping is a yes here. In New York? Yes. That's a no. That's a no. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you have big money. Right? Okay. Back, if I could just reinforce Nikki's, Nikki's line of thinking here, uh, I would also recommend as, as a financial planner to think of real estate as a generational play mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that one of the issues with the term flipping is that it has that impression of being quick. Yeah. And it is not something that is always going to be quick. So just to switch gears a bit, because I want to kind of get through, there's a lot of, you know, information that needs to be covered in here. So let's talk a little bit about, like, stocks and investments and things like that. So uh, so these next questions are going to be directed to Lindsay um, and Elise. So what tools do you recommend for serious, serious stock investing but those who have little uh, money to kind of manage that? Yeah, so there are obviously really great investment apps um, out there that you can um that you can take advantage of, especially when you don't have a lot of time. And I would say that regardless of what kind of tool that you start with, if you're just going to a bank and opening an investment account, or if you are using more of a robo-advisor model, um, that you, most of us really benefit from being what's called a passive investor. So unless you have a lot of knowledge um, or a crystal ball about what's going to happen, um, you want to be really careful about trading too often. And and um, what we know from history is that over time, um, no matter what happens day to day, that the U.S. stock market does increase in value. So that means that, um, you know, lots of up and downs, volatility in the stock market from yesterday, today or tomorrow doesn't really matter if you're a long term investor. You can kind of hang on. Um, so you shouldn't need a ton of time to spend on your investments no matter where you start. Um, definitely similar, you know, at Stash, we, we talk about dollar cost averaging, which means put small amounts, investing small amounts regularly over time, like $20 a week, start with what you can do into a very diversified portfolio, you know, stocks and bonds that are all of it tailored to your risk level, you know, what your age is, what your timeline horizon is, and not only diversifying through various industries like healthcare and tech, um, but also international stuff, if the, you know, if the U.S. economy has a tough time, maybe the... Europe's economy can kind of bolster you up a little bit and keep you going. Um, I think that the most important thing to do is figure out what kind of investor you are and get educated first. People, a lot of people come to to Stash, some anecdotal stuff, a lot of men come in and they're like, oh, I want to make money fast. 
um, and they're like because they're looking for an experience like Robin Hood because they want to day trade, they want to do crypto, they want to do the hottest thing. And a lot of women come to Stash and they worry that oh I don't have enough money to invest yet. I'm still just I don't even have a rainy day fund yet. So they get they're more hesitant. So I think the key is to just figure out what kind of investor you are, what you want to invest for, and what your goals are. And that's just a very an exercise that you can do. Just do a little bit of reading. You don't have to. I mean, a little bit of reading. You don't have to do a ton of reading. And then just figure out how much you can put aside, small amounts of just get started, and just and just and realize that you're taking part. You're when you invest, you're not a consumer. You're no longer a consumer. You're a participant in the economy. So it's not just that you're sacrificing money to grow over time. You're also becoming a real part of the world around you. So it's really empowering that when you buy something, you're like, oh, I'm an investor in this company. So I think it's really taking a holistic view of, of your money and, and just starting really small, knowing what you're investing for, seeing what your goals are, and just hanging on tight. And, and the other thing I would say is, is be very careful with fees, no matter where you invest. You know, if someone says it's free to, you know, you know, free, it's free. You have to look very carefully about it. if you're, they're going to charge you for trades. You have to look very carefully at all the wrap fees. You know, just be very careful of anything with a lot of exclamation points. I always say that. Um, so just always, be, always ask what the fees are. You know, always ask. You know, how how, how can I get my money back? Um, if someone tells you they guarantee you a return. Be very careful. No one can guarantee you anything. You know, the market is definitely, the smartest people say that the market is, you know, is likely to return, what is it, 5.9%, that's what, like, BlackRock says. But they can't guarantee you that, you know? But it seems very likely, looking back in all these years. So just have to be, no one can promise you anything. You just have to just make smart investments, be diversified, kind of hedge your bets over, over a lot of different things, and just, and just start small and keep building over time. And that's what Warren Buffett did. You know, that's what all the smart people who I admire, who are kind of sensible, you know, that's what they do. They don't go for the quick win. It's very hard not to go for the quick win. We all want to do better tomorrow. So you just have to hang in there and be disciplined, like brushing your teeth, but just, it's going to pay so many, so many dividends. Sorry, that's so corny, but, but, it, but it's, that's what I would say. And if I could just chime in, uh, just quickly to, to add there. So, in speaking of being aware of fees and uh, and of mitigating our exposure to risk, it is also your entitlement to go to uh, Treasury Direct. TreasuryDirect.com is uh, a platform where you can buy American AAA debt bonds. Uh, because one of, so one of the things that you can really do with a platform that, that Lindsay and Elise are representing, you have really great exposure to a diversity of, of capital assets, whether there are stocks, which means that you own, or bonds, which means that a company owes you money. Another low-cost entry point are American bonds, which is American debt, which is the only time that a word guarantee might even not be a sin to say, because the, the, the government guarantees that they will pay you the interest that they say. Uh, and also, I just want to reinforce, if you are starting at a low dollar point, if you're starting at $100, $200, $1,000, it should still never be your bread and butter. It should never be what you need for your three square meals a day until that is cemented in, in stone, you're not ready to risk $100, which can feel counterintuitive to scrappy women like ourselves who are willing to like forego a blowout or a manicure, but you never forego your three squares ever to start. 
So we're gonna jump back into that one, but just because I don't want to like be all over the place, I want to come back to that part with what with what you were saying. But let's talk about the hot button that Lindsay, you kind of brought up with the, the the Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency. We have a lot of client. Well, I have a lot of clients that come in for funding, and with alone last year we did 2.7 million dollars in funding. 60% of the men wanted half of their money for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and like I said don't you fix cars so <laughs> what what is what is the whole thing on that is it something that you can really benefit from or is it just like one of the like you know so this is what I would say. So I work I work at a technology company. I work in financial technology. So I work with a lot of engineers who really want to talk to me a lot about cryptocurrency. And I've learned I've learned a lot about it and it's it's pretty fascinating and some people say oh it's a craze. It's like beanie babies. You know, what is the real value of it? You know, what is, you know, what is it backed by? And and you can go back and forth and and I think what I've taken from it, you know, is that it, if you it's it's not that easy to understand but but if you read up to get the basic about blockchain, which is fascinating. Blockchain was the technology behind cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. If you're interested in it, don't be shut out. If you, I would recommend, and, I, and it's not Stash saying it, this is me saying, if you think it's interesting, you can put a very small amount of money and consider it a very, very, very risky investment. You know, um, if it fascinates you and you believe in it, it's like you know, it's like investing in any company that you or any technology you believe in. Um, I think it's fascinating. I don't. I, I don't. I had a Bitcoin a few years ago and I sold it and I am sorry, but a lot. But it, it's it's been very volatile. It's gone up and down. So you have to. It's just like any other investment. You have to have faith in it and hold it for a very long time. Um, very few people were able to time the Bitcoin market. You know, you read Bloomberg. There's all these billionaires who who lost all their money in Bitcoin. If they, if they can't hold on to their money, then, then I can't, and a lot of us can't. And I know my, my, my male coworkers, um, they'd show me their balances, like, oh, it was up at 20,000, now it's at 8,000. And that's part of the, the, the ride of it for them, and that's not my cup of tea. I don't like to watch money go up and down like that. However, if you, if you think it's cool, and there's a lot of really interesting stuff behind it, don't be t intimidated. You know, you're smarter than a lot of these dudes who are just on, on Reddit. So just take a look. <laughs> and if you think it's cool, then like check it out and invest a small amount of money in it and just see and learn. So small amounts and learn. Don't, it's just considered a very risky investment, just like any other very risky investment. I would, pick, I mean, I fully agree with all of that. And that small amount, it should be money that you can be okay if you never see it again. Because like any really hot investment, there certainly is potential to win big, but it is way more likely that you won't. So if it's $100 and that's something that you can spare, go for it if you're interested. If $100 is make or break, don't do it. But it's a fascinating technology, so don't be, it's, it seems very male and bro-y. <laughs> like, you know, it seems like I don't like the people who are talking about it so much, but I, I heard some really interesting podcasts, and there's something about all these women who are shut out of this, of, of the, the crypto scene, it's very male, and a lot of women are really angry about it, and I think being shut out of what blockchain is and all the technology behind it is a mistake. So just don't be afraid to just, to just read up about it, and if it sounds rad to you, then I don't know, they give it some thought, but no, it's like, it is, there's very risky, but, but don't be intimidated by anything. Yeah, uh, as, as far as the, the nine to five job, because we have a lot of people that have not transitioned out, out of the, um, the, the nine to five and to their entrepreneurship 
dream yet. So to increase earnings, like when you start that nine to five job in your first 90 days, what should you be setting yourself up for in that first 90 days to increase your, your income? Uh, um, well, there's, there's two ways to look at it. One is ensuring that if you have taken on a job where you have earned, your, your earning, your salary is more than what you made before, is to set up an automated account where you have a percentage of your income going into that account. So you are profiting first. You're not just going—you're you're putting it toward your savings. So that's one way to, I would think, look at it. So a lot of times, ideally, we're getting raises when we take on new jobs. Uh, sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, now I could buy more extra whatever. But you really want to look at it as if you are making the same and or less and take that extra earning and put it into a savings account or an investment account on any one of these vehicles that we're sharing here. Um, from a how you can increase your earning potential is really how I'm taking this question, is to ensure that within the first 30 days and even beforehand during your interview and in your negotiations, you're already putting yourself uh, and your the perception, the employer perception, as somebody who is there to contribute to the growth of the company, the growth of the team, the growth of the business, and you're going to be looking out for ways in which you can also financially grow uh, in conjunction to that. So within those first 90 days, you want to ensure that you have a meeting set with your manager within the first 30 days to ensure that you've properly addressed what the key milestones and performance metrics are that you're going to be evaluated on, uh, what is expected of you, uh, the communication style and the report back uh, and accountability that you and your team and your managers are going to have in place to ensure that you are meeting your performance standards and exceeding them. So having that one initial meeting um, and establishing those meetings and those touch points is important. And in doing so, you're also projecting a brand of, I'm here to exceed as a performer, and I want to stay on top of how I can do that and ensure that we are working toward that so that ideally you've also set out uh, a, a milestone plan for when you're going to meet for performance reviews and what that looks like in terms of your growth within the company. Um, so that, I think, generalizes what I would want to have happen, what, what I advise we do within the first 90 days. Um, set up your accounts, ensure that your earning is going into the right vehicles, investment vehicles, and then to just ensure that you are investing in your growth potential with the company through having this, um, this key meeting with your manager. And then three, just always thinking ahead of how you can invest in yourself and your own skills so that you're potentially growing outside of the company. Good. So this next question is kind of for everybody, because 75% of Americans, they're living above their means now. So can you give me like a quick hack that you kind of use now to kind of make sure that you stay where you're supposed to stay at, budgeting-wise and all that good stuff, as either an employee or an entrepreneur? Uh, we've mentioned this, I think almost all of us have, but automation, I think, is so huge for making sure that you are being really intentional with what you want to do. So you can automate uh, paying your bills. You can automate a, um, a payment from your checking account to your savings account to your investments. You can even automate your groceries or your Amazon deliveries. And um, that makes, you know, that... Uh, you know, just sort of confirms that you're always hitting those goals that you've set for yourself, that you're not accidentally spending the money that you had planned for something else, which is really easy to do. Um, so I think that is uh, cannot be understated as a, as a really good money hack.
I'm going to add something that's kind of out of the box thinking. Hack relationships that you don't need to have because people will get older. You'll be invited to baptisms, weddings, sweet 16s, and that costs so much money. And in the long term, in hindsight, I think of all those things that I went to, and I'm not even friends with like five of them anymore. Right? And how much, how many thousands of dollars? Have we invested in these relationships that you knew then, like you didn't want to go to, like these parties, these events? You just mean. I'm sorry, but come on, I'm just like. It's, it's, I, I do agree. I honestly think because I know that when I go out, like I kind of want to outdo everybody else that's there anyway. So I honestly agree with making sure that. You know, you validate these relationships before you go and you start pouring into things. You're like, okay, I got $500, I'll give you 50 because I still got to live and I still got to do for the people that I'm responsible for. So I totally get it and understand, and I'm just now learning that at 35. I would definitely uh, share a couple of hacks. So I would say one uh, useful hack that I like is that I automate, sorry, I automate small bills to credit cards, and I don't... I, so I damaged my debit card and I purposefully waited like two months to replace it because for those two months I was just using cash and once the cash was done I couldn't just swipe as easily and I couldn't even it was really difficult and it was actually very useful because it was difficult so I never leave my house with credit cards and then for a while I didn't leave my house with a debit card I just left my house with cash so whatever wasn't already pre-planned and pre-covered uh, wasn't happening uh, so little things and it always happened like um, like I would have, to, I would end up taking the train more often than using a lift because I couldn't just, I, like my debit card was wrong. All of this to say, it was useful not to have a debit card actually. But uh, some other useful hacks to maximize your income is that if you live in a neighborhood where there are a lot of, uh, where there's no parking, you could volunteer to move cars for your neighbors for a small fee. Oh, wow. Service. Yes, and if you're too boss, like you know, like sometimes I feel like too too uh, too cute to be doing that. You could even set it up so that you're helping little neighbor kids figure it out. So what I mean by that is like you could you could not that this is like pimping or anything, crew. but like you can like help the you know like you can say oh look I know two 20 year olds on the block will move the car for you while you're at work. And you make a little cut off of, setting, off of those relationships. And if you know that you're going to be, it sounds, you have to think outside of the box. You have to think outside the box. And I say that because in my case, so we've been in our co-op. My family has been in the same building since 1978. So everyone knows that we're not going to do anything funny with their car. So it's a little easier for me, perhaps, to say an idea like that because the, everyone knows my family, and so if I move a car for someone, they know where to find me if there's a scratch or something like that. <laughs> so granted, I, that might be a little extra creative, but run with it. Lindsay. Um, what I was going to say is I, the automation is great, but what I would say is automation can also be your, your worst enemy when it comes to... Um, Look through your email, look at all your subscriptions. It's so easy to shop. You know, Amazon has has spent billions to just do one-click pay. You know, you just have to think, you know, the idea of taking taking that, that credit card or the debit card out of certain accounts, once they take away, you know, the, once you start feeling the pain of paying, that's like a behavioral finance term, by having to put in your credit card again, to type in those numbers again, you're gonna be like, Ugh. you know, you're gonna be less likely to make that purchase. You know, I do things like, 
I do this thing. I, I don't shop at Sephora online anymore. I go into the store and I, and I, and I do a lap. And if I remember what I wanted before the end of the lap, then I could buy that. And normally, it's it's, it's my feelings. You know, I'm sad, so I shopped. You know, <laughs> a sad T-shirt. <laughs> but um, but I would say just go go through your emails. Get rid of as many subscriptions as you can. Yours, you know, for me, I'm be very honest. My Sephora play box is ten bucks a month. What is it? It's junk. It's just samples, you know. I didn't even realize it when they stopped coming. You know, if you don't need your cable, you know, all this stuff, it seems very small and small amounts of money. And some people say, and it is true that moving to a, a more an apartment in a more reasonable neighborhood is going to make a much bigger impact on, on, your, on your savings than just cutting out a few things. I don't think you should cut out your morning cup of coffee. We all need coffee. I think it's nonsense. Um, but I think these habits over time are what I'm working on. So I'm to, you know, just disconnecting your credit card from certain things I think is so key. And just saying, if I need that, if I need that, I'm going to go to the store and buy it. Like, oh, I don't need it. You know, it's, sometimes you don't want to go out and do it. It's just the, the soothing of it, the ease of it. But that's how they get you, is the ease of it. So I, that's how they get you. I, I always wanted to start a podcast called That's How They Get You. <laughs> but um, so that's what I would say is the best hack is just, is just what you were saying. Take away your debit and credit cards from the things that you're more likely to spend and know that you have to go out and actually buy it in person if you want it. And you'll see some changes. And it's going to be irritating at first, but you're going to see a difference. Um, so there's an exercise that I do in my classes, and it's really to find out where your money goes and how you spend your money. So has anyone heard of Mint.com? Yeah. All right. So I'm not like a huge advocate, um, but I love what it does, right? Um, so basically, you're putting, you're connecting it to your debit cards and your credit cards, and um, it sees all the money that comes in. So if you get direct deposit from your paycheck or your child support, alimony, whatever goes in your account directly deposit, it calculates everything that goes in. And every time you swipe that card, it calculates everything that goes out. And at the end of the month, you get a pie chart, and it literally tells you how much you spend on different things. So transportation, housing, food. Um, so in the month of August of last year, I tried Mint, and um, at the end of the month, you know, it calculated everything and it categorized it, and 70% of my money went to food. Right? And I wondered why, right? It was an eye-opener for me. And, you know, I realized it's August. I'm cooking less. I'm going out more. And who invented brunch on Saturday and Sunday, right? <laughs> Bottomless mimosas. So uh, really identifying where your money goes, what are your habits, you know, and combing through those bank statements and looking at every single transaction, even the ATM fees. Every time you go to the ATM, you're going to an ATM that's not your bank. You're paying for that ATM plus your bank is charging you. All of these little things add up. And I want you to add up those habits. If you're going out to eat, you know, seven days, you know, a couple of days a week, how much is that costing you a month? And really see how much money you have to put in the savings to purchase a house. Right? Home ownership is the key. <laughs> you reached the end of another great episode of the She Boss series. Have you listened to the full season yet? Tell us what you think. Connect with us at BenchmarkCreativeGroup.com. And don't forget to sign up to our newsletter so you can hear all about new episodes, new seasons, or get an opportunity to experience SheBoss live and in person. Oh, don't forget to follow us on social at the BCGNYC. Now, that's T-H-E-B-C-G-N-Y-C. See you later. <laughs>